It's great to see you all uh, this morning as we continue to worship our great God and Savior. Um, just so you know, uh, behind us, some people are drilling something on the other side of this wall. I have no idea. If they get out the jackhammer and dynamite, we'll move to plan B. Uh, but Lord willing, we'll be able to continue to worship and uh, hopefully we won't be too distracted. Today, as we continue to worship, uh, we are completing uh, the book of Hebrews, where we've been uh, for the past 10 months or so. And so this will be the, the final sermon in the series as we move on to other things. Uh, the summer uh, is exciting. There's a lot coming our way. In, in July, uh, we will have uh, several guest uh, pastors, preachers, uh, several folks that you know. Uh, a couple of our missional community leaders, such as Michael Stevens and David Cathcart, will each have an opportunity to proclaim the word to you. Uh, we also will have a, a missionary friend of ours uh, who's a member here, who's uh, done mission work uh, in South Korea and Kabul, Afghanistan, will be here uh, one Sunday. And then uh, another guy, Edward Murray, that you guys uh, may remember, was a missional community leader leader for us before uh, he moved to Charlotte to go to seminary. So uh, the month of July will be very exciting as you hear uh, God's word proclaimed through uh, other uh, ministers of the gospel. Uh, but today as we complete the, the study on Hebrews, I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 13 uh, verses 20 uh, to 25. It says this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see if he comes soon. Greet all our leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is God's word. Friends in Christ, we receive true grace and peace. And through Christ, we extend grace and peace to others. And this glorifies Jesus Christ, our Savior, and God, our Father. Think of a time that you maybe have experienced intense conflict with someone. I mean, just think about it. Maybe you're thinking your childhood, maybe you had intense conflict with a bully on a playground. Maybe you have conflict now with someone at work, maybe a boss who's uh, heavy-handed. Maybe you have conflict at school or conflict in your marriage or family. Or maybe you have conflict with a neighbor or someone in your community. Just think about a time maybe that you've experienced intense conflict where all you want is peace. Right. Think about how you handle conflict and differences. Do you resolve it or do you just walk away? Do you attempt to bring together some understanding and peace? Or do you think maybe if we just go our separate ways, we will have peace? See, we are broken people, all of us who experience brokenness in different ways. And deep within us, there's a yearning to have peace, for things to be right, for things to be good. And when we experience conflict, sometimes we, we have to hammer it out to try to make things right and make things good in hopes that things will be whole again. But sometimes we just tire of the conflict and the friction, and we decide that peace can come if we just walk our separate ways. 
Now, this happens in so many different ways. I've experienced great brokenness in relationships, and I've experienced great uh, turmoil in certain relationships where resolve just doesn't seem to be an option. You see, sometimes even in our Christian circles, and our Christian myths, we experience riffage uh, due to preferences. Maybe it's a difference of style, of worship. Maybe it's, it's a difference of uh, opinion. Maybe it's a difference of where you choose to live or how you raise your kids. It could even be deep convictions, maybe things within you that you say, look, I'm strongly convicted that I need to uh, school my children this way. Or maybe I'm strongly convicted that uh, my lifestyle should look like this. And see, far too often we find ourselves experiencing the brokenness because of differences like that and forgetting what true biblical peace looks like. Sometimes in the attempt to pursue peace, we try to boil things down to the lowest common denominator, right? We just say, well, if I just give a little of this up and a little of that up, and if you give up some of your convictions and preferences, maybe therefore we can have a little bit of peace and unity, right? And this all comes from a misconception of peace, Often we think that peace is just, uh, let's just all get along. Let's live and let live. You know, your convictions that you feel so strongly about, just get rid of those. And that person who maybe feels strongly about that, just get rid of those. And that way we can all just kind of boil it down to the lowest common denominator. And in the end, that doesn't give us true peace. Because we have to jettison part of our personhood. Now, some of this can be on small things such as differences and preferences of lifestyle, but it could be on any even greater things. For instance, yesterday was was kind of a difficult day for me personally and emotionally because we had an event for our uh, parents and volunteers with our church down at at our new building on Broad Street. And while we are having this uh, great thing, fostering healthy marriage and parenting for our children, I look outside of our window and down the street is the Augusta Pride Parade. Okay, that's heavy for me in my heart because within my heart I know that there's this huge friction politically about redefining marriage. And the whole time we're hearing great messages of what marriage and family and parenting is like biblically. And as I look outside my window, I see a whole parade celebrating opposition to that. And my heart is extra broken because I have a few very, very close family members who are gay. And I love them. And I love their partner. My heart is heavy. And I think, how can we have true peace? How can we have true uh, unity without jettisoning our convictions? I, I love the Lord. The Lord saved me at a young age. And I open the Bible and I say, this is God's word. And, and on this alone do I stand. And on this alone is the good news. I can't jettison this part of my life in order to try to have true peace with someone else. And as I've prayed and studied and meditated and asked God, what is is biblical peace. It's not setting aside our differences. It's not saying, let's just live and let live, or I'll compromise a little and you compromise a little and then we'll have peace. That's not what peace is. Peace is not even the absence of strife. Biblically speaking, peace, true peace, is about restoration to our created purpose. An image as image bearers of God. 
That, that's what it is. It's, true peace is not about compromise and trying to just get along and get by and just make it work. True peace is about a radical restoration of our created purpose as image bearers of God. Do you get that? Peace is not about absence of strife. Peace is not about let's just try to get by. It's about radical spiritual renewal that can only happen by the work of God through Christ and by the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's it. There's no compromise. There's no live and let live. There's no setting aside differences. It is a humble plea that God, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit, would do some radical restoration so that we can thrive in the purpose for which we were created. So that we could thrive as image bearers, reflecting the goodness and glory of God the Creator. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean? How can we have that? Deep within us, that's what we want. We want to, we, we, we are yearning to return for our purpose, and we are wanting to reflect God's goodness. And this is what the Bible says in verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. These verses are powerful. These verses tell us that God is powerful, that God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of everything. Read the first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth created the sky and the land. He created the seas. He created the earth. He created the stars above and that which is below. He created man. He created woman. God, the creator, the very beginning of the Bible. God is powerful. And the whole storyline of the, of the Bible is God showing his glory, revealing his character, saying, look how powerful I am. Look how good I am. Look how gracious I am. Look how, look how kind I am. Look how patient I am. Look how wonderful and beautiful I am. I'm creating you to be image bearers, to reflect my goodness, my beauty, my power, my grace. That God is the God of peace. God is powerful. It says here in verse 20 that God brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah who was crucified, dead, and buried. God brought him from dead to li- death to life. None of us can do that. No, we have no power to do that in our own. God is so powerful. He creates everything out of nothing. God can raise the dead to life. God is more powerful than our preferences. God is more powerful than our convictions. God is certainly more powerful than our brokenness. He's more powerful than our relational brokenness, than our sexual brokenness, than our religious brokenness, our intellectual brokenness and emotional brokenness. God is way more powerful than that. We cannot pursue true peace on our own. 
intellectually, emotionally, relationally, sexually, financially, socially. We cannot do those things, but God can. Why? Because God is powerful. The God of peace who created everything can raise the dead to life. That's what these verses tell us. These verses tell us, too, that Jesus is the great shepherd. Friends, this is a huge concept that we often forget. I didn't even understand anything about what shepherds did because I only heard it in church context until I went to Romania. And you ride a bus through the countryside and you look out the window and you see these beautiful rolling green hills with hundreds of little fluffy, dirty sheep everywhere and shepherds out there tending their flocks. And my whole world shifted seeing a visual of what's going on. You see sheep going off this way and that way and sheep are dumb and they're running out in the middle of the road and the shepherd calls them back and the sheep follows and the shepherd is by himself just doing all these wonderful things to care for the sheep. And the Bible tells us that the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. You know what that means for you and I? That means we are cared for, we are loved, we are pursued, we are prioritized to to be taken care of. This means despite our moral and relational failings, Jesus cares for us. When I was in Romania, I never saw a sheep, I mean, I never saw a shepherd run out in a road and beat the sheep with his stick. I never saw that. I saw, you know, we're a, a huge bus barreling down this mountainside and there's sheep in the middle of the road and the shepherd goes out and calls the sheep and, and gently leads them out of danger from a bus. That's what Jesus does for you and I. He doesn't say, well, you've chosen your brokenness. You're on your own. You deserve to have that brokenness. You deserve, you've made your bed, now go lay in it. He never says that. Jesus is the shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. The scriptures go on and tell us, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Biblically, a covenant is a, is a relation. It's not, it's not just a business contract. It is a relational agreement in which by blood this agreement is set in stone for eternity, that God is saying, I am your God, you are my people. I am your Father, you are my children. Jesus is saying, I am the great shepherd, you are my sheep. I care for you, I love you. And the Bible says this is an eternal covenant. will never break, will never go away. So what does this good news mean for you and I when we talk about wanting to have true peace? We want to experience restoration to our created purposes, image bearers. We want to be whole and right and good, not just getting by. We don't want to live and let live. We want to thrive in purpose. We want to thrive as reflecting the glory of God in every area of life. We want to have peace, rightness, goodness with God and each other. What does this mean for us? If God is powerful, if Jesus is the great shepherd, if this relationship is eternal, what does that mean for me and you today? A couple things I want to tell you. Because of this good news, we live lives of empowered obedience as a grace-filled community to the glory of God. That's what happens because of this good news. Because God is powerful, because Jesus is the great shepherd, because the covenant is eternal, it is forever and ever. That good news means that we live lives of empowered obedience 
as a grace-filled community to the glory of God. All right, I want to unpack this a little bit for us. Verse 21 says this. Start at verse 20. I can't start mid-sentence. It's hard. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, first and foremost, because of this good news, we live lives of empowered obedience. Scripture says that God will equip us with everything good that we may do his will. Everything good, everything that you need, God provides for. I'm not saying God's going to make you rich. I'm not saying God's going to give you your dream house or dream car, all the money in the world. What I am saying is to have true peace, to be restored to your purpose that God created you for, to experience a right relationship with the God of the universe and the right relationship with other people. That happens because God, through Christ, supplies everything you need for that to happen. So what does that mean? That doesn't mean that, well, things will be right between me and God if I get more religious. Things will be right between me and other people if I just, you know, change my moral positions a little bit. Or jettison some of my convictions a little bit. Then maybe we can have a right relationship. No, it says that God, through Christ, supplies everything we need to live lives of obedience, pursuing peace as restored people in Christ. This means that in Christ, we can do the will of God, not apart from Christ, but ongoing reliance. Have you ever been in this situation where, I mean, maybe it was just me because I'm messed up, but have you ever been in this position where you're like, man, I really did something bad. I'm going to do better and try harder. Like I totally blew it. I shouldn't have watched that movie. And then the next day you're like, I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to memorize a whole book of the Bible. I don't make up for lost time, right? Or, you know what, I hadn't been to church in years, so I'm going to go every time the door is open. I'm going to go to multiple churches at the same time. That's what I did in college. I was like, I hadn't been to church in five years. Well, I can hit Sunday school here, morning service here, night service here, Wednesday night Bible study here. You know, I was like rotating four denominations so that God would love me. That's silly. It's dumb. It's not the gospel. So the gospel is that in Christ we are supplied everything we need for a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. This should bring freedom. This should bring peace. This should bring rest. Because if you want to follow God and pursue good relationships with Him and good relationships with His people, that means that we have ongoing reliance in Christ. Because it says God will equip you with everything good that you may do His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. I love that. Working in us. God's up to something in you. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. God is ongoingly working in you His good pleasure. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, I've said this before. It's like you don't get married and on your wedding day put a ring on your spouse's finger and said, all right, we're married, and then you go sit on the couch and check out for 30 years. 
You don't. You ongoingly pursue your bride, men. You continue to date your wife. You continue to invest in the relationship. Both of you continue to work out your relationship and grow together in love and holiness, right? In the same way, God in Christ is pursuing us ongoingly working within us to make us more like Jesus, to change us and grow us back to our created purpose as image bearers. I mean, think about what it means to be an image bearer. You reflect God's goodness. So think about a mirror that's been shattered. God does not take that mirror and sweep it up and throw it away, but rather he picks up every piece and is putting them back together in their right place. This process takes a lifetime for me and you. And as it comes together, we can see more and more of the reflected image in the mirror. But there's little shards, there's little cracks. But the reflection is not perfect, but it gets better and better with every single piece. And whenever Jesus returns, or whenever we die and meet him in glory, the image will be restored to true, right purpose. And we will reflect God's glory in its entirety. It's good news, right? We can't pick up the shards by ourselves, nor do we discard the shards, but rather we sit there as shattered people, and God pieces us back together. He ongoingly is working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. And friends, that's such good news. It doesn't matter if relationships are fractured because people say, I don't get your spiritual faith. I don't, I don't get it. If you can just kind of subdue your Christianity when you're around us, maybe we can hang out. No. True peace is supplied by God in Christ, and it's an ongoing process. And in God's sight, it is pleasing, even if it's not pleasing in the sight of other people, even if your non-Christian family and friends don't get it. It is beautiful in the sight of God. And that's good news. Secondly, we see that we're living first in lives of empowered obedience. Secondly, we see that we live together as a grace-filled community. I love this one. Verses 22 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for I have written to you briefly you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon greet all your leaders and all the saints those who come from Italy send you greetings grace be with all of you what beautiful words all of you all the leaders all the saints brothers the word is brothers and sisters in the original Greek. It's a, it's a like, brothers and sisters, we're family. I'm sending you this, the writer is sending this beautiful letter of good news to a church of fellow believers, of men and women, boys and girls. He's saying, we are recipients of grace. For me and you, we are brothers and sisters. That means we are adopted sons and daughters of the God of the universe. That means the king of heaven and earth has brought you in as a prince and a princess in his kingdom. So when you, we don't use it flippantly. We don't say brothers, sisters. It is a beautiful term of endearment. It is a proclamation of the gospel to say that you are my brother in Christ. You are my sister in Christ. I am your brother in Christ. This is good news. It's a proclamation of a new identity as recipients of grace. That we are a family made holy and growing in holiness. I appeal to you, brothers. I love what he says here as he goes on to say, greet the leaders and all the saints. You know how radical that statement is? 
I mean, this was written during the first century. It was written during a time of the Roman Empire where there was certainly a very structured hierarchy of importance where you had the emperor and governors and military folks all the way down to slaves. You would never, in in a formal letter, say, greet the leaders and all the saints. You would never put on par these two things that are so opposite-seeming. You would never say the emperor and the slaves, all y'all hang out together. Never. But what's radical about the gospel is apart from Christ, we are all on level ground. We are all broken. And in Christ, we are all on level ground together. We are redeemed recipients of grace. I love this. So the writer is saying that even in his writings, he says, hey, greet all the leaders of the church and all the saints. It's not that pastors are more important than all you lowly church people. No, he's saying all the saints, all the leaders, grace be with all of you. We equally have dispenses of grace from Christ to us. We are equally broken apart from him. We are equally redeemed in Christ. And this is such good news. It's such a beautiful letter to say, bear my word of exhortation. Our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So friends, what one of the most beautiful things we can do is we meet together, whether we meet together on a Sunday or we meet together in a missional community in someone's home or you catch up in a DNA group over coffee or you just meet with a friend who's a fellow believer. Take time to identify evidences of grace in your life. Share evidences of grace with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to evidences of grace in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a beautiful thing. The gospel is not only something for just you. It's something we get to experience. We are recipients of grace together. We need to be part of each other's lives to to hear evidences of grace and to receive stories of evidences of grace. And it's such good news. If you've been with us any amount of time, you undoubtedly have heard at some point in time me say something stupid from up here or me have to repent of something dumb. I told you, I think, last week of how I had a bad attitude at Chick-fil-A and I just wanted to repent before my brothers and sisters and look, I want you guys to know that God's grace is working in me. I'm not a perfect man. I'm a very broken man, but God's grace is at work in me. You know why? Because he convicted me to repent to my brothers and sisters publicly. That's fun. Spend time displaying evidences of grace. If you were married, talk with your spouse. If you have close friends, talk with your friends or family, other brothers and sisters. Take time to confess sin, to repent of it, to say, look how gracious God is to to change me. God is at work in me. He is picking up the shattered pieces and restoring this broken mirror, and that is beautiful. Grace be with all of you. Such good news. So we see that because of this good news of a powerful God and Jesus the great shepherd and that we are part of the eternal covenant, we first, we live lives in empowered empowered obedience. Secondly, we live lives as a grace-filled community. Thirdly, we live lives to the glory of Christ. Now sometimes we can throw the word glory around in Christian circles and not really get it. Glory is a powerful word. Glory means God's revealed character. 
In the Old Testament, God's glory was shown through his actions sometimes as he could flood the earth or burn a city to the ground. God's glory, his revealed character was seen as he did miracles, as he spoke through prophets, as he spoke audibly to people. As God, God's glory was revealed through dreams. He was, uh, his glory was revealed ultimately through Jesus Christ. And scripture tells us, that living lives of glory, uh, living lives to the glory of Christ means we are reflecting God's goodness. We are displaying God's revealed character. Verse 21 uh, says it as he equips us with everything good that we may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing to his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forevermore. So friends, as those who have been rescued and redeemed, we are living lives of empowered obedience, not perfectly, but as we live lives in obedience to God, we are reflecting his character to a lost and broken world and to each other. Right? We are living lives to the glory of Christ as we live lives as a grace-filled community, extending grace to one another when we mess up, extending grace to one another when we are hurt and broken confessing sin and repenting, saying, please, I need grace from you. And when you extend grace to someone in need, I need grace from you. Jeremy needs grace from you. When you give me grace, you are reflecting God's glory. When you repent of sin and others come around you and love you despite your brokenness, we are seeing God's glory reflected. It is such good news. It's how we are to live. This is why God equips us with every good thing. This is why, as he equips us, we do his will. It is why he is working in us constantly, and it's pleasing in his sight, because it is pleasing in his sight for his glory to be revealed. God is equipping you to live lives of obedience, not so that you could be all that in a bag of chips and say, look how good I am. Look how holy I am. Thank God I'm not like that wretched sinner. Let me tell you, it is very convicting of what goes on in your human heart as you stand in your church building looking out a window at a gay pride parade. You have no idea what was going on in my head and my mind. I'm like, God, I don't even know what to think right now. I'm, I'm mourning for those who are confused and who are missing out, who want mud pies instead of the castles, sandcastles at the sea, as C.S. Lewis said. Those who, who, don't, who seek to redefine God's beautiful created order. I'm not mad. I'm burdened. I'm sad. I, I'm hurting. I have relatives that are buying into this, and I'm thinking, I'm not mad at all. I'm not condemning. I'm saying, I, I want you so bad to see God's goodness and his grace and his peace. And it's wrecking me on a daily basis. And people are getting into political discussions and videos and theological discussions. And all the while I'm saying, man, these are hurting, broken people just like me. My broken list looks like this. Their broken list looks like this. Together, we can come together and say, man, you're broken, I'm broken. We are a mess. Our only hope is Christ. That's it. Our only hope is Christ. Not do better, try harder, not stop that. Not you should change your thoughts and identity and whatever else. No, our only hope is, God, we are a mess. Save us. Save us. And as God works in us these things... It is beautiful. It is pleasing in his sight. 
I mean, I love that imagery there. This is why we see that peace is not just live and let live. It is a total restoration. Here's why. The phrasing of this is pleasing in God's sight is the same. It's the same phraseology. It is the same emphasis of God standing in his creation in Genesis 1 and saying, It is good. This is very good. All of my creation, the skies, the land, the seas, the stars, the birds, the animals, the man, the woman. This is good. And then from Genesis all the way through the rest of the Bible, there's brokenness and a mess and shattered pieces of mirrors. And then Jesus comes and God, the God of peace, is bringing restoration through Jesus Christ. And as God restores his broken people through Jesus Christ by equipping them that we may do his will, he's working in us. It is pleasing in his sight. Friends, in Jesus Christ, it is is the only way and time you will hear God stand in your life and say, this is good. This is very good. This is pleasing in my sight. God doesn't say that when you say, well, God, look how smart I've made myself. Look how moral I've made myself. God, thank you that I'm not like those people. God will never step into that scenario and say, this is pleasing in my sight. This is good. This is very good. No. The only time God says this is pleasing in my sight, this is good, is when Jesus radically restores us to our created purpose. It only happens in and through Jesus, period. Not Jesus plus something, not Jesus and this, that, or the other, whatever option, all waves lead to the same shore. They don't. All waves do not lead to the same shore. All roads do not lead to to restoration only Christ but here's the good news he's provided it for us we live lives to the glory of Christ we reflect God's goodness to each other and to a lost and broken world we can't do it on our own we need Jesus we need radical restoration true peace is about being restored from our brokenness being made whole again between us and God and us and each other. This happens only by God's grace through Jesus, our great shepherd, as he builds us up and equips us to do his will. We can't do his will on our own. We cannot equip ourselves or each other. Only God through Christ does that. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and I today? Hopefully you're here saying, I want to live a life of peace. I want to live a life of grace. I want to live a life pleasing to God. What does that mean for us? I want to ask you to think about these questions. First, in what ways are you experiencing and displaying peace with God and others? Or do you not have peace? Maybe you're like, dude, I'm scared of God because I've messed up so bad and I'm trying to do better, try harder. That's not peace. I want you to have peace. Look to Christ. In Christ you have peace peace maybe you don't have a right relationship with others you can have people in your family that aren't Christians and say we just can't talk about religion and politics at the dinner table is that just my family or is that everybody's family it's my family I want to talk about I don't want to talk about politics and religion well you know what I don't want to talk about those things either I want to talk about the gospel let's talk about Jesus I'm not going to talk about religion I'm not going to talk about politics let's talk about the gospel the gospel is that by 
grace through faith in Christ alone, we have a right relationship with God and each other. And that's something we ongoingly need to lean into. I don't say that in pride. I say that in great humility. Because apart from Christ, my life was a disaster. It was a wreck. I was a fool. I was selfish. I was just full of mess. There's no reason to God's salvation of me. It has to be grace. There's no reason to it. I want you to think about this as well. What are some evidences of grace in your relationships? If you are married, think about evidences of grace in your marriage, in your family. Think about evidences of grace here in this church. We've been a church, honestly, for almost 10 years now in one form or fashion. We've gone through many phases as a community of faith. And a handful of you have been here since 10 years ago. So let's reflect on evidences of grace that we've experienced in this community. Because this grace and this peace displays the goodness of God to our broken world. In conclusion, as we think about those things, we're going to have a time of response. As the musicians will come and play, there'll be a time for us to celebrate communion over here. There'll be a time for you to sit and meditate. And I want us all, everybody in this room needs to respond to this good news. If you are a believer, we have great opportunity to repent of pride. To repent of being the person that says, well, I'm, I'm uh, not like them. And my life is pretty much together. We need to repent of that, and we need to see grace as a huge, humbling gift. And so, join me of repenting of pride. Join me in repenting of sin. Join me of repenting of idols. And if you're not a believer, we want you more than anything to know the good news that it's by grace through faith in Christ alone that you are made a new creation. You don't have to change yourself. You don't have to change your thoughts. You don't have to change uh, your behavior right away. You don't have to uh, neglect what you think your identity or orientation is. You have to look to Christ and say, I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. And I pray that God would dispense inordinate amounts of grace in our midst and that it would be a time of great joy. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for your goodness in the gospel. God, I thank you that you are powerful, that you indeed are a God of peace, that you are a loving father pursuing your wayward sheep, your wayward children. And God, I thank you that Christ Jesus, you are the great shepherd who shepherds your flock with all patience and kindness. And that the covenant that you have extended to us is eternal. That nothing can take us or steal us away. God, all the brokenness we face, all the failures we find ourselves in, God, none of that will take us away from you because your promise is eternal. And so, God, I pray for us in this room, Lord, that you would bring a great amount of repentance of sin and idols and pride. God, that we would turn from those things and look to you. God, that we would lean into your grace as a child leaning into the chest of their father or mother. God, that we would lean into your grace as you embrace us. God, give us patience with one another. God, give us gentleness and kindness with each other as as fellow believers, brothers and sisters who are trying to figure this faith thing out. God, may we have great amounts of grace and kindness and patience with one another in this room, in this church. But God, also may you give us a great amount of patience with non-believers. God, with total pagans. 
God, those who maybe are lost in their religion, good moral people who don't know the gospel, God, I pray that you would give us great amounts of grace and patience. God, that together we would all be looking to you, that we would see that apart from Christ, we are all on equal ground, that we are all broken and need of rescue. Apart from you, we're all like that, no matter what our brokenness looks like. And God, I pray that we would all celebrate the joy of the gospel is that in Christ we are all on level ground, meaning we are all humbly recipients of grace. I pray that you would pour your grace out upon us by your Holy Spirit. Give us great joy. We ask that you would do this for your glory and for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would ripple out to the nations. We pray. Amen.